That last verse is uh, relevant to some of the things we're going to be thinking about this evening. Speak, O Lord, and renew our minds. Help us grasp the heights of your plans for us. Truth unchanged from the dawn of time that will echo down through eternity. And by grace we'll stand on your promises and by faith we'll walk as you walk with us. Speak, O Lord, till your church is built. And the earth is filled with your glory. There's a big vision there, isn't there? We can often turn hymns into uh, hymns that totally, totally speak to us personally where we are. But they've always and often got a bigger picture and of God's purposes in the world. And uh, I want us to look at uh, Acts chapter 16 uh, this evening. And I want to read verse 10. Acts chapter 16 and verse 10. Paul has had a vision of a man of Macedonia standing and begging him, come over to Macedonia and help us. After Paul had seen the vision, we got ready at once to leave for Macedonia, concluding that God had called us to preach the gospel to them. This was a very significant time in the history of the gospel, the history of the church. And Paul and Silas and Timothy and Luke are in Troas. Uh, they're out by the sea and they're wanting to know, well, what's the next step in the advance of the gospel? And God says, well, it's to take the gospel to Macedonia. And that wasn't something that they'd really considered. And what I want us to look at this evening is how it is that Paul and Silas and Timothy and Luke were there in Troas and uh, were ready uh, to respond uh, to God's command. Because they were in the right place, and it had happened through a series of events which Luke traces out for us in the book of Acts. The Bible is an all-sufficient authority, an infallible authority, for both faith and practice, what we believe and what we do, both as individuals and also as churches, individual churches and also churches cooperating with each other. And we're going to look this evening at practice and what happened and how God advanced the cause of the gospel. I think it's relevant to us at this particular time uh, as the, the pandemic has eased and things are beginning to loosen up and we think, well, where do we go now? Uh, where do we go individually? Where do we go as a church? How do we use the, the restoration of freedoms that are being given to us? And what will be the consequences of the decisions we make now? Uh, that will perhaps bring us to a point as Paul and Silas came to a point where they were ready to, to take this great step, the step of faith and of venturing uh, into a new situation and a new place. Uh, we're looking too for a, a new pastor. And it's possibly some, possible sometimes to have a sort of static view of the church, a static view of, of our faith and to think, well, this is really mainly an internal matter. It's something that's got to do with how we maintain the life of our congregation. Of course, in many ways it has. But it's also bigger than that. Many years ago, uh, our brother Russell Williams uh, came to the church here at Karsalem. And uh, he came in the purposes of God and he preached the gospel to the congregation. And the, the congregation responded and a, a gospel church was restored. And a conviction about the truth and the Bible and the gospel. And then when... Uh, Russell retired, then Andy came and he picked up the baton and the church went on into another stage in its history and, and advanced again. 
And now we're facing another situation where we're saying, well, what next? And where is God leading us? And it's possible to say, well, it's just really to do with how we maintain our life, where we carry on doing the things we've always done. But, but the book of Acts, uh, the Acts of the Apostles, sometimes people say perhaps it should be called the Acts of the Holy Spirit, is much more dynamic than that. Uh, there are churches that come into being, and we know their names. In some cases, they have letters written to them. But it's all about the advance of the gospel. And that advance takes place in the, the face of many challenges, many difficulties which the early Christians faced. And some of them were massive. But none of them hindered the advance of the gospel. And as we think, well, how would God, how might God use you or me or the church here in Karsalem? We think, well, where we need to be and it's it comes down to responding in each situation in ways that are appropriate and ways that move us on and move us forward and perhaps you can think of times when that's happened in your life and how God has revealed his purpose to you and that's what happens here there are there are things that happen uh, which are the the result of actions that Christians and churches take and there are also significant moments when God breaks in and does something special and very real in order to open a door, an opportunity uh, for gospel advance. And again, that's an exciting thing, isn't it? Think, well, what is God going to do? And uh, how will he break in and change the situation? I want just to really trace some of the events that led to Paul and Silas and uh, Timothy and Luke being in this place at this time where they could receive the vision. Paul could receive the vision to take the gospel into Macedonia because it teaches I think important principles that are always relevant uh, to the life of the churches Uh, the first thing is really in Acts chapter 6 it may seem a long way back but in Acts chapter 6 the church in Jerusalem had a problem and the problem was that they were caring uh, for the widows that was a good thing to do there was a daily distribution of food but one group of the church began to complain that their widows were being overlooked. The Greek-speaking people were not happy. And uh, they thought that the Hebrew-speaking Jews were getting the the advantage. And uh, so there was a problem, a potential division in the church. And uh, God guided the apostles to make a good decision. And they decided that they'd separate two ministries, the ministry of prayer and the word and the ministry of tables, Uh, We see that as a link to the work of deacons. And uh, so they suggested that the church choose seven men from among them, and they did. And they chose seven men who were all from the Greek-speaking group in the church. That was wise. And one of those men was Stephen. And uh, Stephen was a man, we're told, who was full of God's grace and power. And uh, through him, God did great wonders and miraculous signs among the people. So here's a man who was ready to serve in a ministry of tables. But there are other things which God has for him to do. And uh, he demonstrates his power in proclaiming the word. And uh, God uses him in, in very significant ways. And as a result of that, great opposition stirs against him. And he's accused of blasphemy. And uh, he's arrested, and he's brought before the Sanhedrin, and this Jewish council seeks to to challenge him about what he's doing. And and Stephen gives a wonderful account 
of the gospel, the history of God's dealings with the Jewish people in Acts chapter 7. And he challenges them and says, well, you have rejected uh, the righteous one. You've killed him. You betrayed and murdered him. Uh, And the result is that they're angry and they decide that they're going to stone him. And Stephen, full of the Holy Spirit, uh, looks up to heaven, sees the glory of God and Jesus standing at the right hand of God. And throughout the book of Acts, there are times when God just breaks in. And here he's breaking in for Stephen. He's concerned about his faithful servant who's going to die. And he has a glimpse of heaven's glory. And he says, look, I see heaven open and the Son of Man standing at the right hand of God. And at that, they close, they shut their ears and they want to kill him as soon as they can. And they begin to stone him. And then we're told this, meanwhile, uh, the witnesses were laying their clothes at the feet of a young man named Saul. So there's Stephen, and now there's Saul, and Saul is on the other side. In fact, he is consenting, uh, agreeing with the fact that Stephen deserves to die. But as Stephen dies, he prays a most remarkable prayer, Lord Jesus Receive my spirit. That's his first prayer. And then he falls on his knees, and this is what he cries out. Lord, do not hold this sin against them. And when he had said this, he fell asleep. Did you see the the dramatic nature of his death? He dies out of faithfulness to Christ. He dies with the hope of heaven. He dies Uh, with prayer for forgiveness for those who are killing him. What a powerful testimony. He's faithful, even unto death. And there, watching him die, is this man Saul, Saul of Tarsus. And uh, he says Stephen deserves to die. He doesn't want to hear what Stephen has to say. In fact, he seems on the face of it to be a man who's impossible to reach. How could he ever be converted because he was full of hatred for Jesus? He he says in one of his testimonies later in Acts, he was convinced that he should do everything possible to oppose the name of Jesus. Yet this man, consenting to Stephen's death, is the same man who in Acts 16 is ready to take the gospel on the next stage of its advance. And when Stephen has died, uh, Paul throws himself into persecution He says again in one of his testimonies, it is hard for you to kick against the goads. You see, perhaps even at that point when Stephen was dying, God was speaking to Saul. He was telling him, you know, this man was speaking the truth. Uh, This man was not filled with hate as you are, but he's filled with love. And the Jesus whom you opposed really is the Son of God. And like the oxen which had the goads, the wooden goads behind their heads, that if they tried to turn their head, the goad poked them and made them go straight. God is prompting Saul. But you wouldn't have thought it because uh, a great persecution breaks out. And Paul, Saul began to destroy the church. And he goes from house to house and he arrests men and women and drags them off to prison. Uh, and then he, he sets off Uh, for Damascus in Syria and uh, he's gone there in order to to arrest people and bring them back a great distance great energy in this man but it's all opposed to the gospel and you might have thought at that time well what's happening because the church in Jerusalem was scattered 
Uh, and they couldn't stay there except the apostles because it wasn't safe to stay there. Uh, and yet the gospel advanced. And then God stepped in. And sovereignly, the Lord Jesus Christ converted this man. He turned him around. He changed him. There was Saul. And uh, he was on his way to Damascus. And he was breathing out murderous threats. That's what he was saying. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to find them. I'm going to arrest them. I'm going to put them in prison. I'm going to, he couldn't have been more filled with hatred. And then suddenly, the risen saviour appears to him and humbles him. And uh, he falls to the ground and he hears a voice saying, Saul, Saul, why do you persecute me? And he says, who are you, Lord? He has that sense that he's in, in the presence of God. He's been a deeply religious man. He's been more zealous than any of his generation. He's kept all the rules as to, the, as to righteousness under the law. He is faultless. But now he stands in the presence of Jesus. I am Jesus whom you are persecuting. Now get up and go into the city and you will be told what you must do. And Ananias is told to go and to speak to him. And this is what God says about Saul. Ananias is reluctant to go, understandably. But the Lord says to Ananias, go. This man is my chosen instrument to carry my name before the Gentiles and their kings and before the people of Israel. And I will show him how much he must suffer for my name. You see, Saul is going to take the gospel to the Gentiles. Primarily it's been to the Jews up until this time, but now it's to the Gentiles, to the vast multitude of uh, the world's nations and peoples. And God has chosen this man. Amazing. A man who hated Jesus, who was angry and, and violent. He, he says again in one of his testimonies, he was a violent man and a blasphemer. And he, he turns him round and he changes him. And God has broken in. You know, it's a very important thing, isn't it, to keep in mind when we're thinking about our own situation as individuals and as a church and as a nation that God can suddenly break in. He can suddenly do decisive things and he can turn people round and change people and change the course of events. And that's what happens. And it, it's clearly God's work. The ascended Lord does this. And uh, Saul is a changed man. And uh, he's humbled. And in fact, he, he goes uh, to Jerusalem. Uh, he's taken there by Barnabas. Uh, but uh, it isn't long before he's facing persecution from the Jews too. And uh, so they said, well, you, you better go to a place of safety. And he goes away to Tarsus and he's there for some time. But you see, God has done something that is another step in the fulfilling of his purpose. And uh, here is this man. He's, he's God's chosen instrument. But then the, the Christians who were scattered, uh, some of them began to do something different. You know, sometimes we think the main thing to do is always do what we've always done, keep on doing it the same way. But Acts 11, there were some Christians uh, who uh, were from Cyprus and Cyrene who, who went to Antioch and they did something different. Instead of speaking only to Jews, they spoke to Greeks, telling them the good news about the Lord Jesus. Now, that was a controversial thing to do. Remember, there was this debate, it comes up later in the story, of, of what it means to be a Christian. And there are Judaizers who say, well, every Gentile convert must be turned into a Jew. 
But these people start to preach the gospel to Greeks. And it's clearly something that God has led them in because what they do is blessed. And the Lord's hand was with them and a great number of people believed and turned to the Lord. So now something is happening, not in Jerusalem, but in Antioch. And uh, there's a church there. There are believers there. And uh, the church in Jerusalem hears it and they send one of their best men, Barnabas, uh, in order to help and encourage this new group of Christians. And he sees the grace of God, it's clear. And he's glad and he encourages them to remain true to the Lord. And uh, he stays with them. And uh, others become Christians through the witness of Barnabas. And then, and then Barnabas does something. He, he says, I need help here. He remembers what God's purpose was. Saul was to be God's chosen instrument to take the gospel to the Gentiles. So he goes to Tarsus looking for Saul and Saul comes back into the picture, back into the story in Antioch, the center of Gentile Christianity. And for a whole year, Barnabas and Saul, Saul who has now had the gospel revealed to him, he understands the truth of the gospel in great detail as we know from his letters. And uh, they teach great numbers of people. They become Christians, but they need to be taught. And now it's Barnabas and Saul. God is bringing these men together, different men in their temperaments, but with the same passion for the advance of the gospel. And so an initiative has been taken. There's been innovation. There's been something different. And uh, now there's this vibrant church in Antioch that is going to be the bridgehead for the advance of the gospel in the next stage. And uh, here are these good men Barnabas, the son of encouragement, and Saul, with all his zeal and energy now directed to gospel ends. And uh, they are leaders in the church in Antioch. And then again, something significant happens. Uh, because they're there and they're teaching and things are going well. And, and when that happens, a tendency, our temptation is to say, well, let's just keep doing what we're doing and uh, make sure that everything continues as it has been going. But but God has another purpose. And just as the Lord Jesus appeared to Saul and turned him around, now there are, there are leaders in the church at Antioch. And uh, they are worshipping the Lord and fasting. They're clearly seeking God's will. They want to know uh, what should happen next. You know, it often happens that new converts have a natural desire to take the gospel to others. Those who have been Christians longer sometimes lose that desire. But new converts who are full of the joy of the Lord want others to know too. And also churches that come into being, uh, that are planted and established, often have as part of their DNA that desire to take the gospel to others and see other churches planted. And perhaps that, that's what they were praying about. Lord, show us the next step. How can we, from Antioch, take the gospel uh, to other places too? And... And the Lord answers, and he makes his purpose clear. Set apart for me Barnabas and Saul for the work to which I have called them. They're two best men. I'm sure when they prayed for God's guidance, they didn't think that would happen. Not one of them, but both of them. Set them apart. What they're saying is set them free from their responsibilities in Antioch to go to take the gospel to other places. And so they fasted and prayed and placed their hands on them, and the two of them sent on their way by the Holy Spirit. 
And you just think of these two men leaving Antioch, setting out into the world. None of the modern means of communicating the gospel that we have, except through their voices and their willingness to travel and their willingness to go to people who at this stage were far from God and far from the gospel. And so there are spiritually sensitive leaders who want to know what is God's will for us as a church? What is God's will for us uh, in the advance of the gospel? We are a bridgehead into the Gentile world and God says, yes, I have got a purpose. And uh, Saul and Barnabas are going to carry out that great work. And uh, so they go and they begin to preach the gospel in uh, churches that we thought about this morning, what we know as Galatia. And churches come into being in another Antioch, Antioch in Pisidia and Iconium and Lystra and Derbe. And there are believing congregations in those places. And then Saul and Barnabas come back to Antioch and they tell them what they've done. And uh, the church rejoices. And uh, so there's gospel advance. Jerusalem, Antioch, and now into modern-day Turkey as we know it today, and and God is using people, moving them about, bringing them into place. And uh, then uh, a problem arises uh, about the gospel, uh, because people come down from Jerusalem and begin to preach this other gospel, which is no gospel, uh, talking about the need to become a Jew if you're a Greek and to accept circumcision if you're a man and so on. And it's so important that the the leaders at Antioch send Saul and Barnabas to Jerusalem to, to raise the matter and clarify what is the gospel, what is the message that we are to preach. And they go and they meet with the leaders uh, in uh, Jerusalem, the apostles and the elders, who, who want to reaffirm what the gospel really is. And so they do something very wise. Uh, the apostles and elders in Jerusalem with the whole church decided to choose some of their own men and send them to Antioch. They chose Judas, called Barsabbas, and Silas. And they were leaders among the brothers, and they sent them with a message from the Jerusalem church. We're sorry that you've been disturbed. And we're sending these men to, to affirm what the gospel is and to encourage you. And so Silas comes to Antioch. He belongs to the church in Jerusalem. That's where he's a member. He's a leader there. But now he's based in Antioch. And then there comes another problem. Paul and Barnabas disagree about who to take on the next missionary journey. They want to go and revisit the churches they'd established on the first journey. And and Barnabas says, let's take John Mark. And Paul says, no. He let us down the first time. I don't want to take him. And they had a really sharp disagreement They really fell out about it so much so that they could no longer work together. Barnabas went off to Cyprus with uh, John Mark and and Paul, well, he takes Silas. Silas has come from Jerusalem to Antioch. Now he's going to be part of the, the next stage of the gospel advance. You see God working, moving people, bringing people in, bringing about his purposes. And it's a... Paul and Silas, who go to visit the churches established on the first missionary journey. They're concerned about them. You see, they don't just leave them and say, well, these people have heard the gospel, they've come to faith in Jesus, and these churches are well established, they want to go and see if everything's all right. 
When he writes his second letter to the Corinthians, Paul says that he's got a daily anxiety about the churches, always wanting to be sure that people were firm in the faith and going on. And they also want these churches to know what's been decided in Jerusalem so they're not troubled by this false teaching. And we're told that through their visit, the churches were strengthened in the faith and grew daily in numbers. And then having revisited them, Paul and Silas don't say, well, let's go back to Antioch now. They're saying, where can we go next? Where can we advance the gospel? And and they try various places in what is modern Turkey today. And and again, God is leading. God is guiding. And he communicates, not there. Not there. This is where I want you to go. And as they keep traveling on in a generally westerly direction, they reach the coast at Troas. And then God makes his purpose clear. And uh, he has this vision of a man of Macedonia standing and begging him, come over to Macedonia and help us. How did he respond? When Paul had seen the vision, we got ready at once to leave for Macedonia, concluding that God had called us to preach the gospel to them. How will the people of Macedonia hear the gospel? Through Paul and Silas. Who will hear the gospel through you and me? Who will hear the gospel through us as a church, locally and perhaps wider afield? We have folk from our own church who've gone out to serve God in Brazil and in Uganda. And God has called them and sent them. And that vision for what can be done. And now there's that very clear personal conviction. God has called. He's called us. What to do to preach the gospel. Who to? To them, the people of Macedonia. And uh, he does have a purpose. And they're they're obedient to that call. And uh, to get ready at once. And you can imagine people might have come and said, "Wait, wait a minute, you know. This is a, a whole new situation. You sure it's the right place to go? And after all, there are lots of places here. You've tried to go to them, and they need the gospel too. But they're obedient to God's call. You see, in it all, that's why it's the acts of the Holy Spirit. But you see in that quick overview how, how God has been working through individuals, how Stephen is set apart, and God uses him. And even his death and his testimony is a step in Saul kicking against the goads. He throws himself into persecution, but the Lord stops him in his tracks and turns him around. And then he goes away. Uh, and He's off the scene for a few years. And then these ordinary Christians, they begin to tell Greeks the, the good news of Jesus. And the Lord blesses them. And Barnabas comes from Jerusalem to Antioch. Uh, and then he brings Saul into the picture. Uh, and then they've got problems in the church and they go up to Jerusalem and Silas comes in. And then Barnabas and Paul go off in different directions, one to Cyprus and others to revisit the churches on the first missionary journey. And so now it's Paul and Silas. And they go through Asia Minor and then they say, where next? And God says, Macedonia. That's the place. That's where I want you to go. What happened? Well, a church was born. There was no man from Macedonia waiting on the dock to wave to them and say, it's me. But there were some women by the riverside praying. And Paul preached to them, and the Lord opened Lydia's heart to believe the gospel. What a wonderful thing. God had sent his servants all the way to Philippi so that people like Lydia, like the girl possessed by an evil spirit, 
like the jailer who uh, beat them and then locked them away, might hear the good news of the Lord Jesus Christ. And a church came into being that was a partner in the gospel. Uh, from the very first day to Saul, as he and Silas traveled on, and Timothy with them, as he had joined them. And what actually happened was that a, a continent was invaded, because it was at this point the gospel comes to Europe, our continent. It was part of, of God fulfilling the history of the gospel for us, to hear the good news, ultimately, of the Lord Jesus Christ. It seemed the Rome was all-powerful, but the Roman Empire would fall, and the kingdom of God would grow and expand. It's a wonderful thing to just look at that overview and see, yes, that's God doing things, prompting his people to do things, doing things sovereignly that only he can do. He, he turns Paul around, and then he guides the leaders in Antioch to go beyond that which they'd been thinking. And uh, then he takes Paul and Silas into Europe venturing into unknown situations. And, you know, it was all so seemingly unimportant. Don't think the Romans noticed what was going on. Um, but it was the Lord Jesus Christ building his church, and the gates of hell will not prevail against it. And so we ask ourselves as individuals, and we ask ourselves as a congregation, where is God leading us? We're to think beyond, perhaps, what we are thinking Certainly to think beyond what our political leaders are thinking as we emerge out of COVID and to believe that with God's help we can take the gospel to those who urgently need to know it. We can. And that he can use us in uh, the building of his church and the extending of his kingdom. What a wonderful thing it was for Paul and Silas to come to this conclusion that God was calling them to preach the gospel in Macedonia. What is God calling us to? And how will he use us in the days to come? Has our experience of COVID narrowed our vision or expanded our vision? Because we know that nothing is too hard for God.